Have you heard it said before that patience is a virtue? I'm not sure how much of that virtue I've got in my life, um, nor it seems my kids. I was at the footy one night last year. My phone buzzed with a text message. It was from Levi, our son, and here's what it said. Hey, Jeff. He calls me Jeff. Hey, Jeff, I was just wondering about ordering a keyboard off that should be off, off eBay with the money I've saved up. Is that all good? This is completely out of the blue. Like, we have not had a conversation about keyboards at all. We're in the middle of the footy. Um, well, I don't answer the text immediately. That's inexcusable, isn't it? But, like, I, I don't like to answer texts immediately, just on principle. So I don't answer the text. So you can see the text there is at 7.06 p.m. 7.09 p.m., he calls me and doesn't leave a message, and I obviously don't answer. I'm watching the footy. 7.11 p.m., he calls me and doesn't leave a message. And then if you skip down, the next one, 7.16 p.m., he calls me and doesn't leave a message. So we want a keyboard. Now we've got three missed calls in the space of four, one text and three missed calls in the space of 10 minutes. So I then text back. You can see that it's, <laughs> it's not until 20 past eight. <laughs> I text back strategically timed, you might say. Hey, mate. Sorry, I'm at the footy. I'd like to talk with you about the keyboard. Can we chat tomorrow? Oh, no, nah, I was more just thinking of like a yes or no type thing. <laughs> now, come on. You guys know what I mean, don't you? Are you patient? You patient? Sure, I know we all want quick replies to our texts. That goes without saying. But how about the other things and people that you're waiting for? The friend or the family member who is always slow and running late. There's a couple of sisters sitting together down the front here. <laughs> Some elbows jabbing into sideways ribs. The breakthrough you need to snap that stranglehold in your life. Because you just keep going round and round in circles, but for whatever reason you seem to have to wait. Hasn't come yet. You're on a team here in church. The momentum that your team needs so that you feel like you're actually getting somewhere, not just running a program for a program's sake, but so far you don't feel it. The job you long for, you just want to get a job. You've prepared, you thought, you've done what you had to do, you, you put yourself in the right space, but you're still waiting. Still filling out applications and sending off resumes. The person you love so dearly and you've been praying for them. You love them, but it's making your heart ache to see the choices that they're making. And you're begging God to soften their heart, but right now there doesn't seem to be any sign of that prayer getting it. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Trying to grow patience. Like Mr. Bean has some problems with patience too. <laughs> 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 
do live in an instant world, don't we? So we're used to quick answers and solutions and alternatives. Put simply, we're probably a bit impatient. How does God, what do you think? How does God fit into this mindset? How does God fit into the microwave world we live in? You know that we're... Um, we're looking at Abraham, his life, this ancient legend. We left him out in the wilderness last week, and he, he'd already been waiting a while then. Do you remember? He'd been waiting for 10 years already. Last week, we talked about that, for God to come good on his promise to give him a son. God had spoken to him. He had reassured him. Last week, he reassured him that the promise Still stood, nothing's changed. The only thing is that, that Abram is finding it a bit hard to wait. And understandably so. I mean, he's 85 years old. And he was 75 years old when God gave him the promise. His wife is 75 years old and God's promised him they're going to have a son. And he needs... To wait. That's what it's called today, when you need to wait. He needs to wait, Abraham does. Just, just like you do need to wait, just like I need to wait. Waiting, we seem to, spend, we seem to spend a lot of time waiting. Do you think? And he's waiting to start off with. Abram is waiting for a sign. Look at this. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. That sounds funny to say these days. Ur is just the place where he was. Chaldeans, the people who lived there. I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. He seems to like reminding Abraham that he's going to give him this land. 
He doesn't give it to him. He just keeps telling him he's going to give it to him. Meantime, be patient. Wait. But Abram replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, he's looking for a sign. How can I be sure that you will give it to me? I need a sign. Like, throw me a bony. I need something. You've got to agree with me, God. This is hard. And people could be excused for thinking that I'm getting dementia right now. I'm 85. I'm 85 years old. God, are you sure? Are you sure this is right? You know, God doesn't always, he doesn't always prize it when we demand a sign. But he's good too because he surely knows our weaknesses. And when we sometimes falteringly say, have you said this before, when we're struggling a bit here, you know, when you're struggling to hang on, struggling to wait, we falteringly say, hey, can you help me out a bit? He gets it, he gets it. So the Lord told him, Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. You know what God's doing here, because that might sound a bit freaky. What God's doing is he's doing what's quite normal in this age and culture. Written agreements, very rare in this day, um, maybe even quite unknown. So men sought to bind one another to their word with the most solemn religious ceremony. The contracting party required to bring certain animals and then the animals were slaughtered and they were literally cut down the middle. So they just cut directly, you know, two symmetrical halves of the animal. And then what they do is lay them on the ground with a thin little path between them. And then... The covenanting party, the one who's making the agreement, that party would move up and then down that little path in between the animals. Confirm his pledge. That's what God's setting up here. So Abram took all these, these animals that he said, and killed them. He cut each one down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, divide the birds in half. So Abram's... Hopeful, just like you feel hopeful, God heard him, God's going to give him a sign. Like God said, okay, I'll give you a sign, go get the animals for me, put them there, I'll I'll do it. (laughs) That's the implication. But but look, look here friends, even when he gives a sign, he's still got to wait. Still got to wait. And while he's waiting, some vultures came down to eat the carcasses. But Abram chased them away. You see, he's not just waiting now. He's waiting for God's sign. He's lost his bearings a bit. And he's saying, God, please help me. The day is young. It's, it's still morning when he has this conversation with God. And Abraham does what God says. And then he sits down to watch. 
laid the animals out, slaughtered them, there they are, sits down to watch, and that's when the long pause comes. And I tell you what, I know about the long pause in my life, and I bet you you do too. I know, I, I know about the long pause. And if you don't yet know about the long pause in your life, <laughs> the good news is that you will. It's certain to come. A long pause. Sure as the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning, my friend, you're going to get a long pause in your life. Hour after hour passes by, no sign, no sign, no utterance from God, no questions, no answers. It's noonday now, it's afternoon, the sun's going east to west, those pieces of flesh just lying in the blazing heat and still, still there's no voice and no vision and no nothing. And so soon you predict that vultures come and they're not just like vultures, they're unclean vultures. Because they think there's a feast for them. And they're circling. They're ready to pounce. So now Abraham can't just sit and wait for God's sign. He's got to be busy shooing the vultures away. Busy now. You don't think, do you, that that long, hot afternoon, Abraham didn't wonder if he was on a fool's mission. Waiting, waiting, waiting. I've lamented the waiting in my life. Never more so than these last couple of years. To Deb, my wife, the number of times that I've said, Deb, <laughs> maybe I'm waiting for nothing. Maybe I'm just a fool. Maybe I'm to be, you know, there's that expression in the Bible, Deb, maybe I'm to be pitied more than all men because I'm waiting confidently for something that it's not going to come. You don't think Abraham wondered if he, he was just hearing things. God, I thought God told me to lay out those carcasses. Maybe it was just, maybe I just psychologized it. You don't think he wondered? Maybe just a freak of his own fancy and really God wasn't going to come at all. He's just embarrassed now in front of Sarah, his wife and his servants. Who knows what passed through his much-tried, long-suffering heart during those long, long hours. We don't know, we, we, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is that he's right in line with the discipline through which we all have to pass. Especially, especially if we want to know God and his ways and be the people that he wants us to be. Get ready for some waiting. Hours of waiting for God for Abram. Days of watching, maybe nights of sleepless vigil. Looking out on the horizon for any sign of a wind. 
wondering sadly why he hasn't come yet. What am I doing wrong? Maybe, like, maybe if I was different somehow, it would be working out. I keep climbing to the top of the hill to see the signs, but there are none. I keep checking the email inbox. You know, like there was a time for me I was waiting. It was when we had, you know, remember we used to have dial-up internet and you had to dial in to get your emails? And I must have been coming in. I was painting the house at the time. For, and for that week, I was waiting on this really, really important email. I must have come in 15 times a day, maybe more, 25, 30 times a day. I'd come in, I'd wash my hands from the paint, go into the study, dial up, and check the emails. They weren't there. Checking the email inbox. Keep picking up the phone to check, man, is there a voicemail? Keep checking the news feed. I thought I was doing the right thing. <laughs> like, there's nothing. There's nothing. It's all in vain. Hey, are you, are you waiting? Are you waiting? We know, we know that it is disconcerting while you wait. It is hard. It's confusing. Sometimes it's flat out scary. I wasn't just waiting for a sign, he's waiting in the dark. Gets worse here, it gets worse. Look here, look here, look here, it gets worse. Look in verse 12. That evening as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. He saw a terrifying vision. Darkness. That chills my bones to read that. If you've ever had that terrifying darkness, that horrific blackness, that hold your hand in front of your face and you can't see it, it's too dark. That time when you feel like you got buried alive. That time when you felt like you, you lived below the surface of the earth for however long it was, you, you'll know what that terrifying darkness is. It's not just dark. Abraham's not just having a bad dream. The sun's gone down. The eastern night's cast its heavy veil now over this scene. His soul is oppressed with this dense and dreadful darkness. Do you understand? Even something of the, of the unspeakable, ugly, abject horror of that darkness. It's when you're moved to the core of your being with fear with aloneness, with, with terrible sorrow that seems irreconcilable as it crushes down upon your soul and just wrings from your soul all that peaceful rest that you used to have. Launching it on a sea that's unlit, you know, like by a single ray of hope. When unkindness, cruelty, monstrous injustice beat and mock and maltreat your heart, your trusting heart. Darkness that just envelops and overwhelms you and penetrates and invades your very soul. Till your soul begins to doubt, not only if there is now a God overhead who sees and knows and cares, but if there ever was such. My friend, if you've ever experienced that darkness, you will know something. You'll know. It, it, it could even be traumatic for me to be talking about it right now. It's ghastly. Ghastly trauma. And the weird 
and frightful visions that pass one after another over your spirit. Oh, dark night. Jesus got it. Jesus got it when he hangs his dying on the cross. Weight of the world's sin firmly on his shoulders and all through his spirit. And he cries out. It's the most agonizing screech in all of history. You know those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? St. John of the Cross, 16th century Carmelite monk, he, he called it the dark night of the soul. Waiting, when you're waiting and you're waiting and it gets dark. Just waiting anymore, but it's dark. and It's so much harder waiting in the dark than when you're just waiting. In the dark, in the apparent absence or silence of God. There's, there's no place more anguished than that place. And if you're in it, or if you've been in it, you will get some idea of what Abraham went through. But finally, in that excruciatingly long night, God does speak. And you need to hear this this morning. You're here this morning. God, God brought you here this morning. You need to hear this. You need to hear this, especially if you've been waiting a little while, especially if you've been waiting a long while, especially if that darkness is pervading. Then the Lord told Abraham, you can be sure. (laughs) You need to hear this, my friend. You can be sure. That's your descendants. You see, God's already telling him again, you're going to be a dad. It's not going to be a servant. It's not going to be someone else. You are going to be a dad. Your descendants. They'll be strangers in a foreign land. They'll be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. You can be sure. But I'll punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. But you, Abram, you'll die in peace at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land when the sin of the Amorites, that's the people, has run its course. It's God's word. When God speaks, there's nothing like it. He speaks love and life. He doesn't always point us. I mean, look here. He doesn't always point us to health and wealth and niceness and happiness, sunshine, Like here, I mean, he's forecasting what's coming for the Israelites. It's going to be coming 400 years of slavery. But he does speak. And when he speaks, he assures us, and listen in for your life, he assures us that he's right across all the events in your life and my life. There's nothing there that's escaping him. Nothing, nothing. Not the smallest little detail. And not just the events either, friends, but, but, but the sequence of the events that are happening in your life and, and their order and their timing. That is right across all of that. God speaks, and that's a lot better than when I speak. As the sun went down and it became dark, Abram saw 
a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and he said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. The land and then he names all the people that live there. God had caused Abram to fall into a deep sleep when he finally wakes up. Now the sun's down. Darkness reigns supreme. Yeah, yeah, it's dark. Solemn stillness brooding over the world and God turns up. In the thick darkness, that that mysterious light is like a lamp of fire and he passes slowly, majestically, deliberately between those divided carcasses. And as it did, you see what the voice said? It said, I have given this land, there's the promise of land, to your descendants. There's the promise of fatherhood. God turns up. There's nothing in all of creation like that. When you have been waiting and you've kept waiting and then God speaks. And he gives you your word. He gives you what you need to keep believing, to keep waiting, not to quit, to be, not become cynical, to hope against hope just like Abraham did. Nothing like that. Are you waiting? Waiting? Is your family waiting? Is your team waiting? Your life group waiting? You're just waiting. Seems too long. It seems too long. It's too hard. It's too painful. It doesn't make sense. Like, here's a question, and I confess to you, I've asked this question. What possible good? What possible good? God, could you be doing by making me wait this long? With this much silence, through this much trial. I mean, if you, if you were God, there's no way that you'd keep you waiting this long, is there? You would have broken through long ago. And now you'd be rejoicing. Are you waiting? You know what? It's not just what you're waiting for. What happens while you Look at this. Lamentations. Chapter 3. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation. And one of God's promises, we talked about his promises last week, one of his promises, those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They'll fly high on wings like eagles, they'll run, not grow weary, they'll walk and not faint. God promises it, and he doesn't just promise it there. It's time and time and time again. He actually says, friend, listen, he actually says that it's good to wait. It is good for you to wait. It's good for others for you to wait. It's good to wait. 
It's good to wait. It's good to wait because, listen, while you're waiting, just by virtue of the fact that you're waiting, and even so, the longer that you do wait, while you're waiting, listen in, good things happen. Good things happen while you're waiting. Real good things happen. When we're waiting, you know what it does? If you're waiting, it actually builds your muscle. It develops your resilience. It widens your window of tolerance for pain. It brands patience into your character. It broadens your outlook. It grows your empathy and your compassion. It snuffs out your judgment and your legalism. It softens your heart. Look what Isaiah said. When you wait, you will find new strength. You will. Guaranteed, it's a promise of God. Strength that you didn't have before. You get to fly. You get to run now and you don't get weary when you would have before if you had a run like that. You get to walk now and you don't faint like you used to. Your character blossoms. Yes, 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 it's horrible while you're waiting. Horrible. Sometimes it's terrifying. It's confusing, disorientating, definitely out of sorts with our microwave culture. But it is as rich as rich as rich could ever be. My wise old friend and mentor, Brother Graham, down at the Community of the Transfiguration Monastery, he taught me that I can't stop, said, Jeff, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair. Just like Abraham did, keeping those vultures off the animals waiting Jesus to turn up, he, he couldn't wait passively. God didn't want him completely passive. He had to be active, learning, experiencing, feeling, sitting with pain while he waited. You waiting, my friend? Hear this. God values it highly when I wait for him. And I just suggest to you while you're waiting, maximize it. Maximize it. Um, you know, like see, if you can see your scenario like Jesus sees it. He's got you in there. I guarantee you, whatever your scenario, he has got you in there for really, really good purposes. He is keeping you waiting because that is the best way to teach you what he needs to teach you. It's not random, it's not cruel, it's not fate. He's got you in there for good purposes and he will not keep you waiting for one moment longer than he needs to. So you can wish it away if you want. You can grit your teeth and just last it out. You can bemoan and lament and regret or with the Holy Spirit's help, you can be honest. You can turn your heart. It's, it's not easy. We know that. It's horrible. But you can turn your heart to maximizing the waiting. Look in this, James chapter 1, verse 4. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely, he says. Let it do its work. Let it do its work. So you become mature and well-developed. Not deficient in any way. God values it highly when I wait. 
um, maximize it, but also reverse it. Hey, heard this? When you're waiting, your adversary, your adversary, the devil, he will jump all over it. I bet you he's jumping on it for a few of you right this moment. Jumping on your waiting, and he will be yelling in your ear. It's going to be loud, and it's going to be convincing. He'll be yelling in your ear that God's not fair. That God's just being cruel with you to keep you waiting for this long. That, that God can't be trusted because you really shouldn't be waiting this long. And other people, they don't have to wait like you do. Make no mistake, friends, your adversary, the devil, he'll come after you. He knows your news feed. He knows that you want an answer right now. He doesn't have to work hard to convince you either. He doesn't have to work hard to convince you that you're actually entitled to an end to the wait, aren't you? You shouldn't have to wait. Because that's what our world tells us. Well, how about taking every lie that the enemy of your soul wants to sow into you and turning it back on him? Hey, how about that this week? What, what, what he means for your harm, what he pulls out to mess with you, what he brings up to disillusion you, to actually serve it straight back to him. Joseph's treacherous brothers back in the Old Testament, they throw him in a pit. Then, then there's a, a band or a caravan, they call them a band of Ishmaelite traders that are coming by and they sell him like a piece of meat, like a commodity to the traders. They sell him as a slave. It's his brother, their brother. He gets taken down to Egypt, um, and, then, and then next thing you know, he's, he's a slave. Um, then he's falsely accused. He's in jail. He's in jail for quite a while. Then he gets a real hope that he's going to get out of jail, but he gets forgotten about for another two. And the Bible's really clear about it. It doesn't just say for another two years. For two full years, it says. Full years. Right after he got his hope, two full years more of suffering. It's actually 13 years from when his brothers throw him in the pit and then sell him to the, to the slave traders. It's 13 years till he gets out of jail. 13 years! And it's even more years of waiting after that till he is actually miraculously reunited with his brothers. And it's even more years of waiting after that till he's reunited with his father. And right at the end of the story, when his brothers are panicking one more time because dad just died and now they think Joseph's going to come get him. Look at this, look at this. These are some of my most favorite words in, in the whole Bible. I love this. But Joseph told his brothers, don't be afraid of me, you guys. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God to judge and punish you? As far as I am concerned, and here he, he reverses it. God turned into good what you meant for evil. This ridiculously, interminably long waiting, all these lonely years, God turned it into good. I know we're in church. I won't do this to you, but I just want you to imagine. This is like Joseph looking at the devil and he reverses it. And you know what he does? He gives him the one finger salute. That's what it is. Do you think he does? I think that's exactly what he does. Hey, bad luck. You meant this for evil. God meant it for good. Satan served up opportunities to Joseph for judgment, anger, resentment, retaliation, revenge, bitterness. Joseph maximized it and then with God's help, he reversed it. No, no way, no way is this going to be negative in my life. God values it highly when I wait for him.
Okay, secondly, waiting, friends, waiting is always worth it. You're waiting, it's always worth it. Look at this. But these things that I plan, God says, won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently. It will surely take place. It will not be delayed. You might think that it's slow. You might think that it's delayed. Others might think that it's slow. The devil will scream at you that it's slow. But it will not be delayed for a moment longer than my good time, God says. Not a moment! My friend, if it seems slow, wait patiently because waiting is always, always worth it. It's worth it in your life. It's worth it in mine. Even if it's 13 years, even if it's 25 years, that's what Abraham and Sarah end up waiting for until they have the son God promised them. While you're waiting, God's working and you can bank it for sure that his best way of doing what he's doing is for you to be waiting. You bank it. You can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair. So he's not always just calling you to sit on your backside, being overcome by your wounds and your memories and your trauma and your pain, your frustration, your impatience, your idealism, your judgmentalism. He'll usually, he'll usually have something for you to do while you wait. But it might not look like, it might not look like anything that you would have dreamed up. Wait patiently, it will surely take place. God has not left me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. You need to hear this today, my friend. You need to hear this. The promise still stands. The promise still stands. You are still in God's hands. He is not going to fail you. He hasn't failed yet. He's not going to fail you. He hasn't forgotten you. You're not going to be put to shame. You're not going to be disappointed. You're not even going to be sad that you had to wait this long. Waiting is always worth it. Friends, God values it highly when I wait. And waiting finally, you know, it takes and it also builds courage and strength. Look at this. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave, courageous, and wait patiently for the Lord. I love that verse in the Amplified Bible version. Wait, hopeful, expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait, hopeful, and expect the Lord. You know, when you're going to hold your nerve and wait, even though everything, maybe even everyone is, is screaming at you, and they're persuasive. It's a lost cause. You've been forsaken. You should never have waited in the first place. In fact, I mean, you've got, you've got to do something now because it would be negligent if you didn't. It'll take some heart, my friend. It'll take a stout and enduring heart to hold your nerve and to wait. Be 
still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. You see, what we're saying here is that you actually have to be courageous to wait. Yeah, it takes courage to wait in the first place. But then while you wait, you actually build more courage. God values it highly when I wait. Are you waiting? This in who, who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you, my friend here this morning, Mill Park Baptist Church, you're here with us, precious, precious person made in the image of God. If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord. For since the world began, there is not an ear who has heard. There's not an eye that has seen. A God like you who works for those who wait for him. God values it highly when I wait for him. mentioned earlier Jesus son of God <laughs> having to wait <laughs> yeah 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 having to wait having to wait and then and then hanging on the cross dying nailed to the cross as a common criminal dying breath being forced from his body and and he he hangs on the cross dying and in his dark night of the soul he screams out my God my God why have you forsaken me did that for us did it for you did it for me to give us the opportunity of having beautiful relationship with him and it's not just some beautiful little thing off in the future, you know, the distant clouds and halos and harps of heaven. Life right now with Jesus. That's why he died. He died to give us the opportunity to have our sin forgiven. Forgiven. Punishment taken, the penalty paid for so that we can then become God's friend and live with him now, with Jesus as our saviour. He saved us and as our Lord. He's the centre of our life. He rules our life and he knows how to rule our lives as he made us. And there's... No ear that ever moved around on planet Earth and there's no eye that ever, you know, wandered the Earth itself that's ever seen or heard a God who's like this God who works for those who wait. Thankful today. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Communion is our, our beautiful opportunity that we have 
Say thank you again.